Saints Day. Samhain. <laughs> I don't know if there's a happy in front of Samhain. There happy Samhain? I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it. all right, go ahead. So it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprise! Halloween special. Surprise. Yay! Yes. We got um, a good one. <laughs> we do have a good one. Yeah, a lot of great music. But we're sitting here like nerds researching the origins of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And according to the History Channel, history.com. Mm-hmm. It's got to be right. Yeah. Everything on the internet is correct. That's right. Samhain is a pagan religious festival originating from an ancient Celtic... Celtic? Celtic? I think it... It used Fucking to be Celtic. Frost. I know. <laughs> <laughs> In the 80s, it was Celtic Frost. Yeah. And then it became Celtic. Yeah. Or... I heard an interview with Tom Warrior. What does he say? He said that you can say whatever you want. So I'm gonna go with <laughs> I'm gonna go with Celtic. He's like, yeah, it's fine, Robert. <laughs> Just keep buying my shit. <laughs> uh, in modern times, Samhain is usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Yes. Celebrants believe that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Samhain, allowing more inter- more interaction between humans and the other world. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's where like ghosts and goblins mm-hmm. come into play. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And candy, right? <laughs> yeah, everyone's <laughs> got to have candy. <laughs> Um, so this is an, something else kind of interesting because the Celts, mm-hmm. Celts, mm-hmm. Uh, believe that the barrier between the worlds was breachable during Samhain. Mm-hmm. They prepared offerings that mm-hmm. were left outside villages and mm-hmm. fields for fairies. Okay. That's where the candy comes candy. from. Candy. All right. Happy Samhain. <laughs> <laughs> huh. It just all came together yeah, on this podcast all organically. Makes all makes sense. Thank you, History Channel. <laughs> so we've pretty much loved, I think, everything that I've heard that's come out of Redefining Darkness Records. Indeed. Since they started, he started in 2015. It seems like longer. I thought they were around longer, but that was the established date. Um, so our guest today is, is Thomas. And he runs Redefining Darkness and Seeing Red Records. And he's kind enough to chat with us and share a bunch of awesome music for this Halloween spectacular. Let's get to it. Hello. Thomas. Hey. Hey, it's Grim Dystopian. What's up, man? How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So, do you go by Tommy normally? Yeah, I mean, my friends, yeah, call me Tommy. All right, so my we'll dad, call you Tommy. Um, so I've never been Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I always keep it professional with work. So, like, my business cards, like, everything always is Thomas, but everyone calls me Tommy. Ah, so. uh, okay. All right. Got you. 
Well, thanks a lot for doing this. Um, we love the label. Redefining Darkness is like one of those labels that I see a release and I know I'm going to like it. Like you, I, I feel like we have very similar taste. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. All, like all the bands that come out are, it's, uh, it's all really quality stuff. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, um, that was the intention from the beginning was to find like-minded folk like yourself and, and hopefully uh, continue to put out, you know, quality. And when I say quality, I mean quality from the, the songwriting, the music, the production, mm-hmm. even if it's not like sonically top notch or let's say, you know, like some state of the art production. Yeah. When I, when I speak of production, I, I more mean the vibe, right? Um, like kind of the overall vibe of the recording. Um, and then the artwork, like everything, mm-hmm. you know, I probably have given some bands a hard time and maybe not so much a hard time and like not in a negative way, but to be like, you know, this is, your creation like you should want the best for this and a lot of you know sometimes when you're working with younger or inexperienced bands they only know what they know yeah and so i sometimes end up becoming a guide or a mentor or um you know sometimes even almost like a a manager role without being that person um just to kind of help guide them and navigate the waters and that's kind of what i've always wanted to do you know yeah yeah so can you tell us about um kind of starting the label um what what you know what prompted that sure uh yeah so uh also can you uh sorry to cut you off um can you tie in can you tie in one thing i was curious about was uh the uh seeing red records how that relates to redefining darkness sure yeah so I started the labels in May of 2015, so we're coming upon our fifth year now. Okay, um, which is pretty crazy. That's already been five years. Yeah. But uh, I had come from the industry, so I'll try to keep this short. But I'm a musician by trade. I, I was a professional musician. I went to school for music in Los Angeles, even though I'm I grew up and was always, you know, hometown was Cleveland, Ohio. Uh-huh. Like, you know, in the east. Um, yeah, I've gone to music school for percussion in LA and, you know, ended up coming home just kind of a lack of money, you know, once school was done and that kind of thing and came home, uh-huh. started doing auditions, doing the whole nine yards and, uh, ended up eventually, uh, getting a gig while I had been just trying to be a working musician in Cleveland doing, you know, as, as any musician out there will know, you have to do many different jobs just to kind of afford yourself a living like a normal living right, right. so I would I would be teaching I would be you know I taught uh, drums and percussion for eight years and um, I did live sound at a club that's now uh, defunct in Cleveland and uh, so I did all kind of stuff you know just to get by as a musician and and one of the things is you know when I had been out touring and doing uh, stuff with and I don't know if you know my background but I had been in Abigail Williams from 2007 to 2009. Yeah. That was probably my first situation where I was in a band touring on a label. Yeah. There was a weird story with that, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but... That's all right. Talk about whatever you want. (laughs) Okay. Well, I didn't didn't join Abigail Williams. I think there is, for people who know me, or people who have heard maybe a story, uh, I never actually got 
hired to play in Abigail Williams ever, and it was never my intention. I had a one of my best friends got hired to play on. The, the band had a tour with Dark Funeral and Enslaved in 2006. I want to say it was like the winter of 2006, like fall, winter. And it was a long run, and their guitar player quit like a week before the tour. And so uh, another mutual friend of mine had uh, been rehearsing and, and playing drums for them. He had kind of flown out. He's from here. He flew, he flew out to Arizona where they were based out of and, and started uh, playing with those guys. Um, his name is John. Mm-hmm. John knew my best friend Mike. And my, my best friend Mike is uh, probably, even for all the people that I've met over the years now, probably the best guitar player I've ever been around in person uh-huh. and probably the most musically knowledgeable uh-huh. and so john called mike knowing that he could he can handle it and so within like less than a week i want to say it was like three days before tour mike had to learn the whole set you know wow. and so mike did they flew him out to the second date i think which was like oklahoma uh-huh. and so mike finished out the tour wow. so anyway me and mike being so close um when the band got back they broke up there was like a lot of crazy things happening at the time. And so the band was defunct, broke up, was done. And Ken, the main guy, Ken, they call him Ken Sorceron, is his, is his you know, surname, whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, Ken was always his band. Abigail was always his band. And him and Mike continued to write together. So Ken was still living in Arizona. Mike was living in Cleveland. And they were doing all, all new music, all different stuff. And so they wanted to take it to the next level and Mike had recommended, Hey, you know, my best friend's a drummer, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's kind of a long story long, but that's how I kind of got indoctrinated with those guys. And the band was actually ended up being called born of fire. Mm. And, uh, I was playing drums for that band for a while and we got signed to Roadrunner at one point, oh, wow. which was a wild ride. And our A&R guy was Mike Gitter. And Mike Gitter is uh, a legendary A&R guy, um, kind of from like the East Coast, Boston area. He came from like the hardcore scene. But he's been an A&R guy, I mean, forever. And he had signed like Kill Switch. He had signed um, Opeth, Cradle Filth. He'd gotten a lot of those bands over on Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's pretty it was pretty amazing to go through that experience. And the music was really cool. You know, it was actually kind of different for what was going on at the time a little more unique and there was a lot of you know roadrunner was courting us but at the same time they never were ready to pull the trigger they would ask for like more songs more songs we just like lived in the studio at the time so in the meantime gitter was like well you know you still signed to candlelight with abigail williams ken was the only one uh, under contract mm-hmm. and he's like well, why don't you guys like go on the road and you know you really learn about yourselves as a band when you go on the road you know you know if you're developing chemistry or not you'll know who's not working in the band like you should go out and like test the water and so he kind of gave his blessing you know because ken kept getting abigail williams offers like tour offers so they're like well screw it like let's just do it i had injured my foot and so i had actually stopped playing drums for the band I started playing bass and it was out of necessity. We had like an audition for Roadrunner um, and I busted my foot mm. like the week before the audition. Oh, wow. But I put so much work into it that we didn't, I didn't want to abandon it. I was like, yeah. I don't care what I have to do. I've played guitar like a lot of my life. Uh, riff, I'm a riff guy. I'm not like a good guitar player or anything. But I was like, I can handle bass. Like, let me just learn this stuff. Like, 
this is my dream. I, you know, I, I need to do this. So we didn't have a bass player at the time. So like, oh, well, awesome. You do it. We got Zach Gibson, who, was, who had played with Abigail, who played with Black Dolly and whatever. So he came on to play drums with us. And uh, and so, yeah, so then we ended up going out as Abigail. So did that for two years um, with Abigail. We did the, that record uh, in the shadow of A Thousand Suns together. And not too long after, uh, it was maybe a spring getting into summer of 2009. Okay. I left... I had been married and had kids and had a house mm. and we weren't making any money on the road, you know, it's like kind of the typical scenario. Right. right. And, uh, you know, my wife at the time, it, I told her to throw up the white flag when it's getting to be too much. And, and she did. And I knew it was time to kind of let go. Um, we had just booked a 72 date tour, 72 days. Wow. A long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially for a smaller band, you know, to be out. So uh, it was with Goat Horror. It was like a co-headlining tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. And as the, it was going to be my last tour, and as the date just kept piling up, I think it started like, you know, like normal, like 40, 42, 45 dates. And all of a sudden, it turned to like 54. Wow. And I was already like, oh, man. Yeah. And then by the end, it was like 72. I'm like, hey, guys, like, I can't afford to do this. Like, I can't be out. So I parted ways. And then after that, I'd kind of stayed in the industry, and I did... Uh, uh, some writing with the band. I actually during the time I was in Abigail, like uh, in between tours when we were home, yeah. I did some writing for a band called System Divide, uh-huh. uh, which was on Metal Blade Records, uh-huh. and it had like Ben from Aborted, his wife at the time, oh, wow. uh, Miri. Uh-huh. They lived in Jer- they lived in Jerusalem uh-huh. uh, or like in Israel. I can't remember actually what city. Maybe Tel Aviv. Maybe they lived in Tel Aviv. So yeah, so it's just really crazy. A lot of people don't know these stories, you know, but. You, so, so were you, I was doing that. Were you playing guitar with a uh, system divide? Uh, well, because we were just writing, uh-huh. you know, and a lot of bands do this, but you know, so there's, you'll find like in a lot of bands, either a drummer or a bass player or right wrist and yeah. everything, and, and people kind of lock them to their instrument. But yeah. a lot of these guys all play guitar or they riff out. You know, even Glenn Benton from Beside yeah. plays guitar and yeah. writes riffs. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So yeah, we were just kind of riffing. Me and one friend who wrote most of the material, uh, we just would kind of like sit down a couple times a week, and we would just come up with stuff. So I have like a a co-writing credit or two with them, okay. and then I did a co-writing thing with Aborted. Obviously, having the Sven connection, I've been friends with Sven for quite a long time uh-huh. before that too. Um, that came up, and then even after the fact, Sven would always ask me, "Hey, do you want to come out and like play bass on tour with Aborted?" But again, at that time, I was already kind of done touring. Yeah. So flattered, but I never, uh, never ended up doing that stuff. So anyway, so, you know, because this is such a huge part of my life and something uh, I always wanted since I was young, it's just such a, you know, giant passion of mine. And I was always listening and looking for new bands and always, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hunting for the next thing. I'm sure much like you, yourself. Yeah. I also, on the flip side of that, had a lot of friends um, whether they had left, you know, the bands they were in or the industry completely, like I kind of had, uh-huh. or whether they broke up, their bands broke up and they started new bands, or whether they had side projects, whatever it was, you know, I'd hear a lot of that stuff where they'd be like, hey, can you check out my, my stuff or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I was hearing a lot of this stuff and a lot of it was really good. So I got to the point where I was like, you know, why don't I just put this out, man? I'm like, this is really good. Like, why don't we just, why don't I do it? Like, let me try or whatever you know so 
it kind of started that way, and I think that's how a lot of labels start. You're just a fan, yeah. and either you've had some experience and have the know-how, or you're just that passionate that you're like, well, you know, fuck it, I'll learn. You know? Right, yeah, that makes sense. So, so long story, but I just wanted to give you a clear background. A lot of people will get confused on a bit, so I just wanted to clear it up. Yeah, know? no, thank you. Um, so we, we use uh, Metal Archives for researching, and yeah, uh, it's not always the most. Accurate. It's not. It's better than Wikipedia, but <laughs> right, right. But, but uh, there are you know inconsistencies and errors, so it's it's better hearing it For sure. right from the source. Well, that's the thing is you know I see some of that sometimes, and it's like it's not right at all most of the time. Yeah. So but instead of fighting it, you know a lot of guys go in and try to like correct it or edit it. I'm like, you know what? Eventually, it'll either get written right by someone who knows or like. You know, if I do enough, maybe it'll start picking itself up. But it uh, it doesn't bother me either way. You know, right. if someone wants to know, they'll ask or, or whatever. But I hope people don't take it as 100% truth because those guys are trying to just figure it out too. And you have a billion different fans like submitting stuff, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Got it you. is what it is. But to get back to your question on um, redefining and seeing red. So I took it very serious when I, when I came into it. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it well. And so I actually even took out a loan. Um, as long as, it's just like one of those credit card offers, like, you know, like 0%, <laughs> you know, take out like five grand, seven, whatever yeah. it was. I think I took out like seven grand to uh-huh. start. I think some I used for my, for need a roof for the house, but then the rest I, uh, I used to start the label. So as far as like getting the website set up and built and the logos and like all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did take out a loan to start. So I took it very seriously, but I'd never done anything like that. And, uh, I noticed when I started researching at the time, um, like labels like Dark Descent had really started gaining momentum. Yeah. Obviously, they're they're a very big and well-respected entity now um, in the underground. But then they had really just they were on that that mountain climb. Right. They were really getting noticed. A lot of the bands were starting to get recognized, even though uh, Matt had been at it for a while already. And um, and actually, I'd, I'd even reached out to him a few times, asked him questions. You know, he was cool enough to answer some things. And, um, even though he's kind of hard to get hold of, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, he'd be cool enough to write me back and, and answer some questions for me and whatever. So it was always cool. And then uh, I'd befriended the Hell's Headbangers guys because mm-hmm. um, they're essentially like down the street from me. I probably am 20 minutes away. Wow. But that, it seems closer. We're like, it's all like back roads, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we live kind of out in the boonies, and their places out in the boonies. So um, it's just kind of these long roads. You can go like fifty miles per hour, or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're they're pretty close. So I kind of befriended those guys on the road. But before all that, again, I was kind of researching and studying, and um, I found all these niche, these very niche labels were the ones having the success. So I found the more niche you were, uh, the better the better off these labels were doing, you know, the more success they were having. Mm-hmm. So with Dark Descent, I always looked at uh, Dark Descent and the Unspeakable Acts thing as an interesting um, relationship. And I didn't know what that relationship was. I still don't know it fully, but I understand it a lot more now because I also befriended Eric who runs uh, Unspeakable Acts. Uh-huh. But I always saw like in Decibel, their, their advertisements would be together. Like they seem like a little family, like, you know, yeah. whether it was a, a parent uh, child type uh, business or whether it was a brother sister type business I wasn't sure what was going on I don't know if it was just two friends that try and save a buck and advertise together I wasn't sure yeah yeah. 
So, uh, again, Eric was cool enough um, yeah, and, uh, you know, answer some questions. And he's reached out to me, actually, too, over the years uh, about the stuff, too. And so, you know, all kind of friendly and, and helpful, which is kind of nice, you know, mm-hmm. a nice little community. It's not like we don't see it so much as competition as, like, you know, how do we help yeah. you know, drive things forward, help each other out? So I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. But um, so I looked at that relationship and I said, okay, well, what is it? about this that works how how are they doing this and, and what exactly is going on here you know so because <clears throat> unspeakable obviously if you look at it, it's more like thrash base or at least the the darker side of thrash you know maybe a little death metal but not the type of death metal that dark descent releases you know right so i looked at that model and i go you know i really have a love and a passion for uh the darker stuff i've always been into um you know the heavier you know the death metal the black metal stuff like that but i love i grew up on bay area thrash and i grew up on i even grew up on hip-hop i grew you know i grew up in the hood when i grew up so yep. so i love everything and obviously going to school for music you know i, I found an appreciation for even much more so I, I never wanted to be limiting but i also wanted to make sure i wasn't going to make my road that much harder for myself i said well look I'll do this redefining darkness thing. That'll just be the evil shit. That'll be the cave dwelling shit. That'll be, you know, my, my death metal, black metal exclusively type stuff yep. or anything like super dark. And then on the, on the seeing red side. So I used almost dark descent as my model for redefining, even though we released very different things. Yeah. I, I was thinking of that label specifically, uh, you know, with that niche in mind, I guess. And then with the seeing red side, I actually looked at relapse of old, Okay. when I was growing up, I used to get the relapse catalog. Yeah. I used to order from relapse all the time. Yeah, that was the I mean, shit back then. Back, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 38, so uh, I'm a little, uh, a little older than that. But he's <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. 38. I'm 47. <laughs> okay. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Well, you get it though. Yeah. I mean, you were there. Oh yeah. You experienced it even more than me because I was on like some of the tail end of some of that. But because um, you you might have been at the tail end of tape trading there, and yeah, I was, I was with all the guys that did all that I always hung out with like dudes uh, 8 to 10 years older than me yeah. so I would have been in your crew I guess yeah it was but, uh, good times those guys had all done it so I kind of started doing it with them later even though I wasn't doing the pen pal thing overseas like mm-hmm. I'd go to their house they'd give me stuff you know stuff like that mm-hmm. so I thought that was cool too yeah. but the relapse days you know when they were doing their thing and even um, I don't know if you guys remember Visceral Productions yeah they were out of Cleveland yeah um or a suburb of Cleveland, and there's a Hemdale guy, so mm-hmm. the drummer from Hemdale. Yeah. So I loved all that, man. And I remember when Nile was on Visceral, some of their demos, and then they got signed to Relapse yeah. and all that. So I just had a, a fun place for that. And, and, and the way Relapse evolved, that the way that they evolved, they used to be really extreme, kind of like Eric, too. They were super extreme, kind of in this death grind area. And then they both evolve where now they have like rock bands on their label right yeah <laughs> i was like i like all this shit why can't i just do what i want the thing right is kind of like if the music's good and i like it i'm gonna release it and help these bands you know mm-hmm. so i don't really care i'm not necessarily you're putting not, any tag on it you're I'm not pitching it kind of like yeah that makes yeah, sense right it and it, it is funny though because my theory is is kind of it's kind of a kind of been right on you know redefining has been a lot more successful quicker i would say than seeing red i don't know if it's just i don't know if it's multiple factors or if it's you know the whole thing i was saying all along was that the more niche it was the more followers you had and yeah. 
where the more spread out it was with different styles, the harder it was to get like a solid group of people uh, following you. But I mean, they're both, I think they're both uh, performing well. And, um, you know, for me, it's just about getting the bands more exposure. Um, if I could teach them anything along the way or, or help them out in any way that's you know going to take them further and what, whatever they're trying to do, whatever goals they're trying to achieve, that's kind of the end game stuff. So. Yeah. Got you. Got you. So can we, uh, can we break and maybe, uh, play like three bands yeah sure um do you want to talk about escarnium oxygen destroyer and mutilatred yeah sure uh escarnium i don't even remember how we got in touch with each other i probably reached out to them mm-hmm. a lot of times i'm the one i'm the aggressor i'm like going after the bands i really i'm really impressed with yeah. uh, obviously from brazil uh-huh. and um at the time, they just had like a collection of demos, and I don't even remember what I heard first, but I think it was one of, like one of the newest demos they had, or like a new song they had written or something, and ended up befriending the guys, and we just kind of hit it off. And uh, one of the first bands I worked with, honestly, uh, back in the day, can't remember if that release was 2015, 2016, but I said like, why don't I release a compilation of all your demos? Like, let's take that. Like, I don't know, three or four demos or something. So I was like, why don't we like release it all on a CD with, you know, a couple of your new tracks or whatever. So mm-hmm. that was a fun thing. Awesome guys. Uh, the main guy, Victor, he's moved. He's left um, Brazil because there's not a lot of political, or good political things happening there right now. Yeah. And he's uh, living in Germany right now. But uh, really great guys, really extreme. It reminds me of, it's almost like if you crossed an incantation with like, I don't know, early Nile because there is blasting and whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, incred- they're just an incredible, incredible band. So I was just fortunate to 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 work with a band that quality, and uh, we continue to work together. And I hope you know I do the next album with them. So. Very cool. Was it Oxygen Destroyer? Was that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I hit them up too, and uh, they just blew me away because I couldn't believe how much they sounded like Vader. Um, the ultimate incantation uh-huh. and that was the first vader record i heard and for whatever reason vader clicked with me when i was young i think i first heard him when i was maybe 14 yep and um it just made sense to me they sounded like the polish version of DSI yeah. or whatever at the time yeah yep and uh yeah i'm sure you can relate uh-huh. and i really loved it and i loved everything they did i mean i remember christmas is you know, ask my parents. Yeah, ask my parents for all this ridiculous, crazy shit back then. It's crazy <laughs> to think about now, being a parent. But, you know, like, why would they give me butcher at birth? Like, I would, I would be questioning my kids. You know? But uh, I remember Vader Black to the Blind when that came out, or Deep, Deep Profoundest. Actually, those were like Christmas gifts and stuff. So it's kind of, kind of crazy. But I've always loved Vader. And ironically, not to keep this a Vader conversation, we're getting knocked to destroy. But ironically, the first like pro tour I ever did with Abigail we were supporting Vader and Love on Creation on tour oh nice the two bands I'd grown up loving my first tour ever that's cool was with Vader and Love on Creation and Cattle Decapitation yeah so it was pretty it was, uh, it was an inspiring tour for sure yeah. and uh, it was very fortunate but yeah it's always Love Vader and like I said I can't I couldn't believe like how much they, that their record reminded me of that mm. and then um, obviously like almost some little like you know those thrashy elements I mean Vader always had those thrashy elements as well but they take maybe a little more of a demolition hammer approach kind of yeah. smash the two together yep. I just really loved it so I approached them 
Um, if you look at their, I think their cassette cover that, that Head Split put out, the artist, uh, and I can't remember his last name, it's like Sebastian something, and he's got a real interesting tag uh, like that he goes by for his artwork, mm-hmm. his art pages. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic artist. The Godzilla thing he did is amazing. I'm not sure who did their original logo, but it was really crude and really like... Um, I mean, it was really raw, mm-hmm. and I just didn't feel like it represented the band. So this is the kind of stuff I get like nitpicky only because I'm trying to make the band the best version of themselves yeah. as I can. Yeah. Um, the album was already already recorded; everything was ready to go. I think they already already actually put it out digitally and maybe pressed like I want to say they maybe duplicated 50 CDs, something like that. But I caught it like right away. Hmm. I said, well, let's do this. I'm like, but you know what? I want to invest in, like, have you thought about, like, you know, getting a logo, like, professionally done, like, taking this idea and, like, actually doing it so that it it just represents you a little better, you know, gives you, like, more of identity. Because it was, like, really crude. Like, like I was afraid, like, it wouldn't print out right. I mean, yeah. it was raw, you know? Yeah. Like, really raw. Yeah, I got you. So I'm never trying to, like, uh, step on a band's toes or, or make them do anything they don't want to do but I you know I talk to them I give them the reasons um, you know why you know why I'm thinking these things and and kind of the visions that I have yeah. as far as like how I think I could help um, take them to maybe that next level you're like a metal and, mentor uh, <laughs> yeah and, and I don't again I don't mean it to come off the wrong way I, I'm not trying to be like I'm never like my way or the highway type of guy at all. Right, right. But I do have like, I do see, I do see, um, what's the right word? You know, I have visions for these things. Like yeah. I hear, I heard them. I saw the cover. I saw these things. I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. I'm like, Oh, if only they would do this or if only they, maybe I could help them do, you know, yeah. like stuff like that. Like, and they were cool and they were receptive. You know, some of these bands at first are a little weird, but but when they see I'm just genuinely trying to help, yeah. it really changes the conversation. And then, you know, I'm paying for it, you know, like come out of pocket on it like 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just kind of build that into the, the budget or whatever. And uh, we did that with oxygen destroyer. And I, I think they, they came out of that situation really pleased with, with what we, we came out of that and pretty much left it the same. But again, I uh, love the band, the guys, they're, they're actually one of the bands I talk to pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. Jordan from Oxygen Destroyer is an amazing guy. And, uh, they're really active. Uh, they're one of the handful of bands I have like actively touring, actively like wanting to be out. And, and it shows, and that's why they've been so successful up till now. Do they have any, then, um, util- any plans to come, okay. come to the East? Yeah, we're trying. Yeah. There's, there's a couple things in the works. I don't know how much I can talk about. I, I don't know. But, uh, I think right now we're working on a Canadian tour for them. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Deathrus that I just released like a few months ago. Uh, vaguely. I think those guys. Yeah. Okay. Those guys are going to link up. Yeah. If you like Oxygen Destroy, I think you really like Deathrus. They really, they really complement each other. Very cool. Um, yeah. So I think they're going to try to do Canada and I don't know what other plans, but we've talked about getting them east. They've come as east as Chicago. I want to say they played... I think Oxygen Shore played a little thing in Chicago, and that's as far as we've gotten them. But uh, yeah, I would like to get them further over. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I just think with more touring, they'll get more opportunity. You know, people start recognizing them and knowing the name and knowing that they can draw. So yeah, yeah. Um, so and the Mutilator. Yeah, they were here. That's the last one, right? Yeah, they were here recently, and they're they're going to be playing here again in November, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Did you see him? Yep. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Oh, they were awesome. Yeah. It was a right? great show. Like, it's it's such a weird thing. So a lot of times, so if you saw them recently, you saw them with like, they were a four piece, right? Yeah. Yes. A lot of times, I mean, back when, so they were like one of the very first bands I put out, like before Escarnian. I think Escarnian might have been right after. And um, I had found them, you know, I'd just been doing what I normally do. That's the thing with the labels. Like, I was already looking for new music all the time anyway. This is just me now acting on it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas before I was just listening to it. This is me when I hear something now, is hitting up the band rather than just, you know, putting it on my iPod or whatever it was at the time. So I hit them up and, you know, I saw their Ohio boys, you know, from, uh, you know, the west of Ohio. And, you know, we hit it off too. And actually, the, the singer guitar player uh, Patrick he became uh, my tattoo artist he's an amazing brilliant artist all of the almost all the album covers or artworks that have been done for the band he's done so that new uh, Injected Phil EP he did the artwork so mm-hmm. he's just really fantastic amazing uh, talented dude their drummer Clay he's amazing it was pretty much the core of that band has been those two they've had a bass player now for a while Eli um, has been with the band and they got a new guy Drew I haven't met yet but for, and they had a Pat there was two Pats and there was a Pat from um, Premonitions of War hmm. I don't know if you remember that band on Victory yeah yeah. but that's how that band started it was like both Pats and Clay huh. and Pat Pat 2 they call them, I think they called him P2 like Pat 2 Pat 2 from Premonitions of War he was the one that had all this experience, you know, like he toured with Permanition, yeah. like everyone knew him. Permanition said he toured with like Suffocation, mm-hmm. you know, like all the Suffocation guys love those guys. So he had the experience. He was kind of the mentor for them because the other two guys were really young. Yeah. Um, but because Pat was a little, Pat P2 was a little older, again, he had been married, he had kids, he's got two boys and whatever, and he had to go into school, so he couldn't always be in the band. But I, I think he's always going to be an honorary member. I don't think they'll ever take him off like credit or uh, you know even though you may only play a couple of shows a year he's like always a member of that band mm-hmm. I think it's really important to everybody yeah. and he does all the if you hear any of those like electronic sounding segues in between their songs or the endings of the song yep. Pat does like all that oh really huh. so that's always been P2's contribution yeah but really great guys uh, they were super kind of young and naive at the beginning with like again Pat kind of like leading the ship as far as like He's the one with experience, but man, I, I'm so impressed with how far they've come. I've seen them play as a two-piece with just Patrick and Clay, yeah. just drummer and guitar player and singer. Like they, they didn't care. Like they would just they go to Arizona and just play a show. The two of them, that, like that's cool. So I always admired that about them. Yeah. They did not give a shit. And for as small as their band was, sometimes they always sounded crazy heavy and crushing yeah yeah like if you see them live it's like oh my god it's like this wall of sound you know and they always get the crowd moving so i've always i'm always more impressed with them live and i've been trying for the past few records to get them or releases to get them to sound the way they do live on record and i think the next one we have a plan uh, moving forward that i think we'll finally be able to achieve it because them on record just doesn't do them justice you know like you have to see them to understand like the power coming from that band yeah yes. they're definitely a great live band yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah they're fantastic one of my favorites actually to watch so. yeah we're looking forward to seeing them again
So uh, one question I had for you. Obviously, the record label is named after the Shining record, or or is that just a random It's not, actually. No? Yeah, it's kind of random. Huh. I, I've never really been a big Shining fan. Okay. Um, not Nothing against them. Mm-hmm. But I think I checked out the record after. I was literally just, like, racking my brain, coming up with stuff, like, you know, trying to come up with a name that had, like, a ring to it, yep. you know? yeah. And I, I can't even remember half the ones I came up with. But when I came up with that, um, I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And, of course, I Google searched everything yeah. once. So I don't know if it was subliminal mm. because I don't even remember when that record came out. So I'd have to look at the timing of when I started the label and the record came out. Because maybe the, I think if I remember correctly, that shiny record may come out just a few years before. Yeah. But um, I think 2011 um, I or 12 check or that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you know, I was always on. Well, I don't know. I had gotten out of music, so when I when I had left touring in 2009, you know, I still continued obviously like doing some writing and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there was at one point I kind of like gotten out completely yeah. and just needed a break and needed to focus on my life. Yeah. And I wasn't doing anything, so it was like two years probably, and that's when I met my new my current wife. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like put blinders on, and that was during that time. Yeah. So I honestly had not like paid attention to that record Mm -hmm. but of course i was still like kind of secretly like you know still would like get decibel or like you know read stuff so i don't know if maybe in my subconscious i'd seen it yeah and like it it kind of been put in the back of my memory banks or whatever but no not not consciously it's not like i was a fan of that record or anything um it has it's a good name i do it has a good ring to it yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, and if if it came down to the fact that I, you know, needed to give him credit, it's fine with me because, you know, it ended up being the perfect name for me. Um, and actually, I have listened to that record, of course, obviously because of that, the name connection. And, yeah. You know, there is some there is some pretty cool stuff that they do. I had just not been a follower. You know, they came kind of later. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the black metal I listened to was just kind of all the you know the older stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But seeing red, if you want to talk about that, that is after a song. Um, a lot of people jump to minor threat immediately, mm-hmm. which totally that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But the the one I was actually uh, connecting with was in tombs. Uh, seeing red on um, uprising, oh, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yeah. So I love that record. I love that song, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then, you know, I thought the minor threat thing, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This, like, covers everything I kind of want to do with this label. This kind of represents everything I want with this label, you know, this hardcore thing, this, this. So, um, so it worked out perfect, too. But, and that was definitely related to Entombed and Minor Threat. So. so redefining currently, and this might be wrong, this is according to Metal Archives, has <laughs> yeah. uh, 35 active bands on the roster. Is that about right or no? That's hard to say, man, yeah. because this is not like the traditional days of record labels, right? Yeah. We're not signing bands yeah. to like eight album deals. I think Roadrunner, back in the day, I'm talking like when Roadrunner was the shit and, you know, you had the Aside and Double Tour and, yeah. you know, just all the, the great bands, right? Mm-hmm. They had like, their, all their contracts were for like eight albums minimum. I think Earache was like five minimum maybe back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of these guys were holding on to those bands, you know, making sure that they were recouping on, on, you know, whatever monies they were putting into them. So I, I don't have, first off, I don't have the budget to give the, you know, it's just me. It's just DIY. I have a, you know, I have a job. I'm 
I'm paying for the mortgage. I'm paying to keep the lights on. Yeah. I got the kids. I got the wife. You know, so it was just like, you know, if I go broke trying to help these bands, you know, I would not have a family anymore. So yeah. it was more like, and that's where that loan came in too. But it was more like, let's get this thing started. I know I could make this successful. I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, you know, I always say like, if you can trust in anything, trust in yourself. Yeah. And if you can believe in yourself and know you can get something done, you you can do it. Yep. You know. And it may sound a little cliche, but it is kind of that if you put your mind to it. But I was confident in that. Like I knew the industry enough. I knew what I was doing. I've been doing this long enough, especially in this scene or environment. Yeah that I knew by putting in the work I could accomplish something and um, I just had to figure out how, how I was going to do it you know the how part's different yeah. so you know I didn't have I didn't have budgets for all this so you know a lot of these labels now it's happening and I don't know what every label is doing I can't speak for everyone but most of the time when you're talking about smaller labels like myself mm-hmm. you're dealing with pure licensing Mm-hmm. So the the it's kind of empowering to be honest because what it does is it gives the band um, it gives the bands power you know like the bands own all the material back in the day Roadrunner would own that material yeah. or Earache would own that material they're signing everything away yeah. you know for for publishing advances or whatever else they were getting from that label which was all recoupable anyway by the way I don't think any of hear stories but a lot of those bands never understood. Look what they were getting into and regretted it later on, you know. Yeah. But uh, I always, you know, being an artist, I'm an artist first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? I'm. I'd come from it. I've been in bands. I I know. I knew the bad situations we were in. I saw bad situations other bands yeah. were in. So you, I'm like, I never want to do so that. So you learned a lot from you know? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never wanted to take away a band's ability to thrive mm-hmm. I wanted to aid them mm-hmm. I didn't want to hinder them record labels the traditional method um, and people could think what they want about this but I, I always saw them as like a parasite type parasitic yeah. type relationship yeah. without the band they can't do anything right. like they're nothing without the band so they have to feed off that band and they can keep pumping money into it but at the end of the day nothing's free yeah. so it's not like these labels are ever going to give up on that band where it's like oh cool you, you know it's over you, you know we put 80 grand into you and we never you know there's plenty of times that they never fully recoup but that's why also why labels stop signing just bands so like band breaks up and then they can like do their own thing or whatever that the laws changed and i don't remember when this was probably in the 50s or 60s to be honest a long time ago the laws changed where you're signing the person so like Peter Steele was a perfect example using Carnivore. Mm-hmm. Peter was signed mm-hmm. to Roadrunner, mm-hmm. but he couldn't. So people ask about typo negative. It's like he had, it had to come out there. You know, like yeah. if it didn't come out there, that was Roadrunner waving it saying, okay, you know, we're passing on it. But um, anything that guy does, they own. Yeah. So that's the messed up part about it. So they need the artist. They need the artist survive where I wanted to do the opposite I wanted to aid them I wanted to work together as a team mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be like a, a parent-child relationship nothing like that no, nothing where there's a hierarchy mm-hmm. maybe I'm the guiding ship mm-hmm. but at the same time we're in it together and the more successful relationships you see between band and label is when you're on the same page yeah. and uh, I don't know if you ever watch Al Dawson uh, Al Dawson is it uh a very tenured earache record exec yeah. um, who's been with Digby forever. He's an Australian dude who moved to the UK and now he lives in New York City. But 
I follow a lot of Eric's. If you go Eric's Instagram, he tells a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. He does this like IGTV mm-hmm. thing, and people ask questions and he answers them, and it's really cool because about all these bands we grew up listening to, like Napalm Death and Morbid Angel mm-hmm. and whatever. So um, he's got really, really great insight, and he's a really positive attitude. And you know, I like listening to those stories because a lot of it's what I'm telling you right now. Um, it's based in that, you know, and a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's pretty interesting and interesting to get their perspective on everything. Yeah. But, um, I'll have to check that out. But again, I wanted, yeah, you definitely need to check it out, man. I don't think he's, he's not doing this frequently. He was doing at least one a week. And I even had submitted some questions because there was bands like that were a little more obscure on your rake. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's asking him about, so I'd ask him and they'd, and he'd answer and they'd answered him, which was cool. But, um, but yeah, so I wanted to you know, I wanted to help them. I wanted to guide them. I wanted to mentor them. Um, at least the ones that were were accepting of that. Mm-hmm. And just like Al, Al preaches on that on some of those things. Like when you have a band and a label working towards the same goal, mm-hmm. it's always going to bear fruit or be more successful than if you have one band pulling one or you have a band pulling one way, a label pulling the other way. Yeah. Or sometimes, to be honest, I work with people where I'm pushing forward super hard. And the, and the band's not doing anything. They're not even, like, sharing posts. They're, like, doing social media. And it's like, man, you guys just don't get it. Like, it has to be both of us. Like, that's how this works, right. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Cyst, Cleric, and Appalling? Yeah, Cyst was like a, Cyst was like a happy accident, man. Um, another one I stumbled on was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is some of the best death metal I've heard in years. Um, because it totally reminded me of Morgoth and, and yeah. you know that whole vibe it was different everyone was doing the entombed thing you know like gatekeepers like there was all these great gatekeeper type clones yeah. and uh, while some of those bands are really good it was all kind of everyone doing the same thing and I saw a lot of the hardcore bands almost like evolving into these entombed clones too you know yeah. like put on a HM2 and now you're <laughs> you know this like Swedish death metal band or whatever right. but um and again, some of them are good, but uh, a lot of them are doing the same. So when I discovered this, it was like a breath of fresh air. Like, oh man, these guys are doing it right. Like they're doing it their own way. They're not paying attention to what else is going on right now. Like I was completely blown away from from the musicality, um, the songwriting to the vocals being so insane. You know, it's like a mixture of like obituary, mm. uh, more goth, death like early death pestilence like it was a mix of like all those bands smashed into one and I was like floored and I needed I had to put sometimes I'm like compelled to put this down I'm like I'm putting this out like I don't care what I have to do I'm gotta be a part of it because I love it that much they're from Russia right so uh, they're from Russia yeah yeah. Uh, the small town I can't I can't remember the name without looking it up but but yeah so they're from Russia and there's a bit of a language barrier Mm -hmm. and actually the main dude Nick he runs his own uh, little label in Russia called Metal Race, mm. like um, R-A-C-E, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he released this, this stuff there, like, you know, uh, he put it out under his little thing or whatever. You know, he did so many CDs, and when I came to him, like, I, essentially, he, he, they put out the EP, the Frozen Cast EP. And I essentially, the whole s thing again, I go, well, look, you know, you guys have this collection of other singles and, and you know, demo. I was like, why don't we put it all together? I'm like, a lot of people in the U.S. have not heard you or North America or whatever. Yeah. I was like, let's get it out there. I'm like, if I could do anything, I can get it attention. People are going to love it. Yeah. You know? And so they trusted me. And uh, and we did, man. It was like caught wildfire, you know? Like, it was one of my more successful releases, especially at that time. And 
And to be honest, there's uh, stuff in the pipeline with them right now. So, oh, that's cool. Um, I was just talking to Nick this morning. Yeah, it'll be a while before you see like a brand new record or anything. They do do everything themselves, and uh, as Nick would would probably tell you, their resources are a bit limited in Russia. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's using like old equipment. They don't have a lot of money. Mm. He recorded and tracked and mixed all that stuff himself, man. Wow. Which is even more impressive. Yeah, that's cool. What he had to use. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah. So it's crude, just like the stuff you would have heard in the '90s, like the cut. But out of not trying to, they weren't trying to sound that way. Yeah. They, that's, you know, some people try to sound like retro yeah. or whatever yeah. with their production. He was just like doing what he, you know, like that's what he had to work yeah. with. You know, that's cool. So that's even more like um, endearing. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, I love them. I can't wait to, to, you know, hopefully we continue to work together. But they're they're just fantastic. So, what was uh, what's the next? Uh, cleric. Oh, cleric. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I just stumbled on them too. Man, it's hard to remember exactly how I found these bands, but a lot of it's again just searching through. And I can't remember if I found them or if my buddy Ray found them. So Ray, R A I. He's the owner of Raw Skull Records in uh, the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And we've just befriended each other over time. And we've done quite a bit of collaborative releases. He, he focuses pretty much only, I was going to say primarily, but let's say only, on uh, old school death metal. Mm-hmm. So we got to the point where it was like, why don't we team up? You know, it, it made sense for us to kind of, uh, it's not like we save a ton of money uh, collabing, but we do save a little money collabing and actually we're able to give the band a little more yeah. not only in terms of royalty but in terms of exposure because he's been doing this for I think like 15 years maybe he's, he's I think he's like your age I want to say he's like 47 he's old huh but um, <laughs> <laughs> well you know he's, uh, he's seasoned he's more ah, seasoned that's a nice that's a nice way to so, put it <laughs> and he'd been he'd been doing the mail order thing for a long time wow. you know like he'd already been doing 15 years he got contact like China and other places that are kind of like hard to come by. So it made sense to like collab and help these bands even get more exposure. So now I have really good worldwide exposure because of a relationship I have with Hell's Headbangers uh, without getting into it deeply. And you can come back to this later if you want. Uh, Hell's Headbangers handles all my fulfillment. Mm. So I do not ship from the basement anymore. I used to do everything out of my basement, package it, ship it, Uh you know, whatever. Uh Um, Hell's Headbangers started by shipping all my international packages. Mm -hmm. So I used to like drop packages to them almost daily and then I'd go to the post office mm-hmm. where eventually it just got to be too much I got to be too busy because I do have a day job and a family so uh, Hell's uh, actually took on all my fulfillment very cool so literally when orders come in it goes to Hell's and it ships out that's you know? cool so, I know they're like it, it, yeah. if you order something from them they're they're on it so that's a I'd, I'd think that would be a great yes. a great uh, venue to work with dude to be honest without them I would not be where I'm at right now because when I was first shipping out like a CD to Germany let's say USPS it cost $13 you know one CD wow and so I was eating it because there's no way I was like I can't charge someone $13 to $15 for shipping if the CD's already like 10 to 12 bucks like they're paying like 25 for a CD like no one's gonna pay for that so I would I don't think I charged over 10 I think I kept it at 10 and then whatever it was over I just ate it you know um but to me, it was like, we're going to the music out to Europe and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I'll figure it out something better later. But the Hellas thing came along and, uh, yeah, it worked out amazing. It's actually, uh, 
Uh, we can get into it later if you want. But right. uh, yeah, <laughs> I could ship uh, a lot cheaper, and uh, they, you know, they have a, a great relationship um, with a worldwide shipping company. And because they do so much volume, because it's all volume based, obviously, like a lot of manufacturing is yeah. shipping the same way, kind of by weight. So you know, the more they ship, the cheaper it becomes. So actually, I end up helping them a little bit because by adding my tally onto their tally. Mm-hmm. Now it's giving them even more to ship, which actually drops their rates even lower. Um, yeah, they do Shadow Kingdom as well. They have a, they actually absorbed a couple other labels that you may or may not know are attached to Hell's, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they they are actually they built quite the operation over there. Um, and I'm there at least once a week. I used to be there like almost every day, but now I'm there probably like once a week. But uh, anyway, so Ray, back to Ray and Cleric. Ray. Uh, you know, we start collaborating on stuff. Uh, this is something I, I think I I think I brought this to Ray's attention. We heard I, I showed them the band's first album, uh, Gratium ugh, Inferno, something like uh-huh. that. And uh, the, the artwork is super sick it's by Justin Barrett or Jason Barrett, mm. who's the uh, the vocalist in um, Petrification mm. out of Oregon. Mm. Okay, and uh, the the artwork struck me listening to it struck me it sounded like a mixture of uh incantation dysma cyanide and then they kind of had you know that modern twist in there too because uh, they do the occasional blasting and stuff but it sounded a lot darker mm-hmm. um i guess more along the dark descent type line you know of bands they put out it yeah. was like more cavernous yeah. <laughs> and darker yeah i got you uh, than like a cyst, for example, mm-hmm. it's not more evil or something. But uh, I really, I really dug it and contacted them. And oddly enough, they had pretty much had a whole record recorded already, wow. so they could have put this out like in spring. Mm-hmm. But because of my release schedule and Ray's release schedule, we just kept bumping it. And they were cool enough to be like, "Hey, man, nothing's going on. It's cool. Like we don't mind. We just want to do it right." And so now uh, we're at the point where it's coming out this Friday. So. And we're still going to be working with them. Really great band from Texas. And uh, I would definitely check out their first record. It's really incredible as well. A lot of people compare them to Swedish bands. And I think it's just the HM2 thing. I hear like the occasional nod to the European yeah. style. But um, I hear them much more as a, as a U.S. death metal. Yeah. But maybe that's Yeah. Me. No, they, they definitely have their their own spin on it. Yeah. And then Appalling, I think, was the last one. Um, yeah. Again, I think I stumbled on them. You know, sometimes these bands do a no. Appalling approached me. This is one of the <laughs> one of the more rare times. Appalling approached me, and it's rare that a band approaches me, and then I'm like, oh, you know, blown away. Mm. Usually, you know, it's a lot of small bands or like two dudes in their basement doing something, yeah. and it's like it, it's just not there right. yet, you yeah. know. Um, and I'm always cool, dude. I try to listen to everything everyone sends me. You know, no matter what, I try to give it a chance, and, and then I'm. I'm I try to respond to everyone too. It doesn't happen all the time, but I would say at least 90% I do. Cause I really do try to stay on top of that stuff. And I try to give them like honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of people actually like appreciate that and like write me back and go, Oh, thanks for even writing me back. And oh, you know, thanks for your words and your support and whatever, you know, I just try to give them, give them the, you know, my, my take on it or whatever. Yeah. But, but appalling hit me up and it was one of those ones. I was like, Oh shit. Like, this is great. I wish, bands would hit me up like this all the time yeah. it makes it a lot easier you know? yeah. uh, it was a little difficult because I already had like a release schedule set out and so I'm like oh man this band's really great and they had already kind of been on a path to releasing this album on their own 
so they kind of already already been in the, the stages of kind of starting to promote what they've been doing. So I'm like, well, I got to jump on this. So this happened to me a lot, by the way. I'll like throw in records like I never had planned on doing just because I liked the music that much. Mm. And so they were one of the ones we were able to push the, back, the record back a little bit, like get my bearings and kind of get things on schedule and get them suppressed. And we did do those things. And it's funny, I just saw them. They just were touring with a band called Death Crown. And uh, one of the guys from Death Crown was in uh, Arsis back in the day. Do you remember Arsis? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because he was in Arsis around the same time I was in Abigail, maybe just after, something like that. But uh, And we had toured with Arsis a lot back then. But uh, yeah, good dudes. And uh, I've been uh, friends with Michael from Death Crown for a while now online. And they brought uh, Appalling out, and I got to see them. They played a, a Cleveland date, and they were freaking fantastic, like even better live than I ever would have imagined. Um, they were they were super tight, flawless. The club they played was super shitty, like huh. small little club here, yeah. and they sounded amazing. Like like they had their shit dialed in, you know. Very cool. And they were great guys. Yeah. So, they're really like them. I just think they're unique. They're unique mix, you know. Are they Canadian? It's, uh, That's crown. Uh, appalling is no, from Virginia. I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked on the Death Crown. Now. Oh, Death Crown. <laughs> Death Crown are, uh, oh boy, I should know this. No, that's sorry. I keep wanting, I want to say Chicago, but uh, it's not. It's um, in the U.S. I have to look it up, man. They're from the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Death oh. Crown's somewhere in the Midwest. All right. Ugh, I should know this. Maybe Oregon or something? Oh, it's got to be Chicago, because okay. I think ours, our, well, ours is the G- James from Chicago. I think it's Virginia. Uh, is it? I think it might be Virginia. Death Crown from Virginia? Yeah, I you're right. So. Yeah, yeah, Death Crown's from Virginia. Sorry, sorry. They're both Virginia. Sorry band. to get us sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's all right. You're right. You're right. They're they're both from Virginia, and that's why that makes it makes more sense okay. why they both went all out. Right. But I want to say, I want to see the guys. From, oh, you know what? Ours is from Virginia too. But I I have some Chicago connection to that. Maybe I have some memory or something with with them in Chicago. I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking that. But yes, both Virginia. You are correct. See. Um, yeah, both Richmond bands, all the both great bands, and then uh, Pauling. It was cool because Brandon's voice is so cool and so unique. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of early like David Vincent, yeah. like the way he enunciates. It's like somewhere between like a David Vincent or like uh, Tear from Tear yeah. Gun, like I would say like uh, Di- Diabolical Now era, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, really cool mix. And their and their musical style kind of fits all within that, like within like the Satyricon early Morbid Angel and then even I would say like Angel Corpse like the stuff that like toted the line between old school death metal and like maybe early black metal you know yeah, got so yeah really unique really really different band I, I, I see uh, a promising future for them
So you mentioned you have a day job. What do you do during the day? So it's funny. Um, you know, somewhere along my you know musical career there, when I kind of phasing the music part out. Once I got out of it completely, I was actually going. I was going back to college. I was going like a, a community college for physical therapy assistant. I was like really into. Uh, I was like doing exercise kinesiology stuff like that. Yeah. I was really into working out and stuff uh, for a long time, and so I was like, "Oh, it's another passion of mine. We just like do that." And so I was going to school for that. I was still teaching music, and I was working at a like local restaurant called Melt that got like uh, national recognition all over. They were like on a bunch of like couple manners foods. They were on like Travel Channel. It was like these gourmet grilled cheeses that were like bigger than your head, you know. <laughs> uh, and the guy who started it was a like a punk rocker from the area, like really respected, and his bands were like kind of legendary here, you know. So uh, I started working for them because it was like the punk rock, you know, like restaurant. You know, you could be tattooed. There was no dress code then, you know. Like it was just like it was like the beginning of the craft beer movement really mm-hmm. not the beginning but like where it began to be heightened so Belt was one of the first to like have like 25 craft beers you know before people were putting like 40 50 tap handles in one all right we're on our way and they were the first to like support <laughs> all that yeah now it's like out of control but uh it's all gotten into the food side like the hospitality side and at one point with school i needed to go full time i kind of figured finished all my prerequisite stuff and it was, uh, I was needing to go to school, like, you know, full time for my program or whatever. But I couldn't do that because I had two young kids at the time. They had to been, they're like just about two years apart, two, two girls. Mm-hmm. I want to say they were like maybe three and one or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had them all week because I had the restaurant job and I was teaching them. And, you know, late afternoon, evening, you know, my ex-wife had a, a regular job, like nine to five, mm-hmm. but. I worked mostly weekends and evenings. So I was like the mom, you know, I had the kids like all week during the day. Like, so it's pretty invaluable really. And, um, and then, but you know, I give them back on the weekend and, uh, I would, you know, that's where I make my money and work the most or whatever. But, uh, so I'd gotten into food there. So when when I had to uh, make a decision of like, all right, well, I can't really go to school now until the kids go to school. Like there's no one like watch them during the day, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Melt had been wanting to put me in some kind of like, and so I become a supervisor, then like a beverage manager for them, then like a general manager for them, running one of them. So I got into the food side, and then from there I moved on to uh, the beverage industry. So I worked for a small beer distributor here, actually a large beer distributor here, and then I got hand picked up from there from a supplier out of Kentucky that made beer and whiskey. Actually, they're uh, the only craft distillery on the Bourbon Trail, actually. And because uh, all the other, comp- you know, uh, brands on the Bourbon Trail are like, huge brands, uh-huh. they're the only craft brand. Uh-huh. Uh, and now there are a lot of craft Bourbon Trails. There's like many Bourbon Trails, but the Bourbon Trail, uh, they're the only craft brand on the Bourbon Trail. So is, is it, I work for them. Is that something not not to be mentioned on here? Not to be mentioned. Yeah, it's um, the beer was the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Oh yes, and. We're aware. So I was working for them, and it was like near the height. Uh-huh. 
of of their spike, you know, which was perfect. I came at like the perfect time, and their distillery that they own is is called Town Branch. It's actually a river that runs through Lexington that they named it after because they get their water from uh-huh. there. Um, and really, really fine whiskey. Uh, they did a uh, a single malt. It was like one of the first American single malts uh, that was doing well. And then uh, they did a bourbon and rye, and they're all really great. So I learned. I knew about beer. I started learning more about spirits and really getting heavily in spirits. Mm. And then from that experience, I started working for a distillery out of Columbus, Ohio, like our capital. And um, they were called Middle West Spirits. Mm-hmm. And they had a vodka brand called Ohio, which is a Native American name for Ohio in the Ohio River Valley. It uh, translates to beautiful river. river. And uh, they have their whiskey brands actually under their distillery name. So their 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 whiskey's uh, Middle West spirits, you know, oh. uh, whatever. Middle West spirits, rye, Middle West spirits, uh, bourbon, that kind of thing. This is a very uh, educational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything you want to know about liquor, man? If I, if I don't know it, I could probably find it out by the next time I talk. About it. But I've been in it for the last like six or seven years, That's so cool. um, yeah, it became a huge passion of mine. I really got into spirits and. Uh, and that whole thing, now that obviously has become a big thing. Um, and I, it's funny, I, I, I tend to stay ahead of the trends with that stuff because right as the cocktail and, and the uh, the spirits boom is happening with craft beer kind of getting old played out for the people, um, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Yeah. So I now left that as uh, of March of this past year. And I finally started a company out of Columbus. He started a spirits company that he launched in Chicago called Karate Cowboy. And he uh, he did it here, too. But Ohio's got really weird, archaic uh, liquor laws. And um, it was much too adventurous. So, like, for example, you guys in New York, right? Yeah. So you're an open state. So you don't you don't even think about this. In, in Illinois is an open state, too. Which means, like, you don't really have your regulations on... Um, high proof spirit or closer to like beer it's all kind of like treated similarly yeah. even if there's like specific laws mm. uh, that follow them they're treated more similar with like a distributor they deliver them that kind of yeah. thing whereas like in Ohio the state owns it mm. so like whereas a beer let's say it's a three tier system so where a beer gets made from a, a brewery right a supplier yeah. it's, it's pretty much the supplier chain brewery makes the beer they have a distributor that distributes the beer to your bars, restaurants, uh, retail, whether it's big box retail, like your, your giant grocery store chains or, you know, your convenience store or whatever, or your gas station. Uh-huh. Right. So distributor is handling the di- direct distribution of, of the beer that this guy makes. And they have a ton of beer in their portfolio, almost kind of like a, a metal mail order. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like Hell's Headbangers is a good example, except. Hell's has their own releases as well, which most distributors, it's kind of illegal. They can't do that. Mm-hmm. But they have all of this shit in their portfolio they're getting out, and uh, it's very similar in that way. But uh, liquor here is different. The state owns it. state liquor. Uh, they have state liquor agencies. So you can't buy liquor at a gas station. You can't buy liquor at a convenience store. You can only buy high-proof liquor in a designated agency. Now, these agencies can be with like a big box retailer like again at some grocery chain of some uh-huh. kind or they can be independently owned so ben you could own a liquor store mm-hmm. here um but the messed up thing is and, and people don't recognize this also all the liquor on your shelf mm-hmm. 
you don't own it. The state owns wow. it. So what happens is you sell, you know, liquor off the yeah. shelf. That money's not yours. You're not paying for those goods. Those goods are shipped to you from the state, and you get a commission on those sales. Wow. So it's really bizarre. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's really archaic, man, and yeah. crazy. Yeah. So whereas, like, a beer would ship to your store, yeah. you pay for that beer, now you own that beer. And now whatever you sell that beer for, you make that money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. All the all the revenue goes back to the state, and it's, like, multi-billion dollar, you know, thing. That is insanity. It's, it's so huge. <laughs> Yeah, and they'll never give they'll never give oh. it up. The last state that became a free state mm-hmm. uh, from being a um, control state is what they call mm-hmm. that control state was uh, Washington, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guess who bought them out, but uh, uh, Costco bought them. Oh out. wow! So Costco bought the state out, and it had to have been like a billion dollars. Wow! But so now Costco can sell and. And people like regret it, which is really funny because people bitch about um, control states a lot because the, the laws are so archaic. But now they're like, man, we should have never let Costco buy them yeah. out because there's just because they can kind of control the narrative now. And Costco can use their Kirtland brand and have essentially like a a Jack Daniels make the Kirtland brand. You know, it's just like grocery stores, man. You have a you know we have Giant Eagles here, like mm-hmm. you know there's Kroger's in this region or whatever. Yeah. You have like big food companies making the Kroger brand or the Giant Eagle brand right? yeah. um, that they're just putting their name on like private labels type stuff so it's the same thing now you have these bigger distilleries like uh, Costco can buy you know at a premium price or at a, at a premium at a very discounted price they can buy bulk and really like kind of control uh, you know what they want to sell that for and how they want to dictate all that so yeah, it's kind of interesting man. but anyway yeah. we're going down a rabbit hole oh, another way that's yeah, interesting but uh, yeah so anyway I work for my friend now it's called Simple Times Mixers um, it's a really revolutionary thing we're essentially taking cold press juice and turning it into cocktails uh, but without the boost so essentially I'm in the food industry mm-hmm. now so we're making cold press juice cocktails and it's never like you're never going to find us doing like a, a simple margarita mixer like a, a orange juice or something when i'm talking cold press juice cocktail it's literally the cocktail ready to go mm-hmm. you dump your booze in so we'll do stuff like as simple as like a blackberry lemonade mm-hmm. to as complex as a chai cider meal uh, you know grapefruit basil limeades like stuff like that where it's more complex mm-hmm. um and it literally yeah you pick your poison and you're like oh i'm a vodka drinker it's like vodka goes with any of these yeah. or you know there's some that work better with whiskey so so I'm still related to the industry, but I'm actually just selling a, a food product. Yeah. Potentially, no, that's cool. And uh, you, yeah. So it's a, it's a startup company, but it's uh, it's wonderful. You probably have less of the government's hands in your profits that way, right? Oh yeah, I could do anything. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I could sell it to you over the phone right now. Yeah, I mean, like that's kind of the thing is like I can I can go take my truck out and park in a parking lot and just sell if I wanted to. That's you know, cool. we have like a a vendor's license, like a mobile vendor's license for the state, so like we can we could do anything. And that's the crazy thing. I felt like I've been running with the parachute for the last six years, and now I just took the parachute yeah. off. You know, like I can do anything. That's cool. So. That's very cool. Yeah. How about we talk about Depraver, Detherius, and Graveview next? What was the second one? Oh, uh, Dutherius. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you might be pronouncing it right. No, I don't know. It might not be. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to fuck things word, up. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, hey, that's okay. <laughs> Depraver is actually a more recent mm-hmm. one. Um, 
you know, I tried to make these relevant to, to kind of what's happening with the labels right now. So the Pravers, when I actually I stumbled on a while back, I've been talking to them for a while. They had a, a really long hiatus. Um, I want to say the first demo was 2012, 2013. And then they just stopped and they didn't record something again until like, uh, I think they wrote in 2017 and then released, you know, that second demo in 2018, something mm-hmm. like that. And, um, you know, again, so I stumbled on I'm like, wow, this is really good. And I noticed they weren't really affiliated with anyone. I'm like, this is too good to just be sitting here. Like, I wonder if I could help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just another we contacted him. I think a lot of fans are skeptical when I contact, contact them and I'm all like stoked on it. You know? <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, we could do this. And you know, I think, because again I have visions like it's not like for me it's not about the money mm-hmm. right I have my career mm-hmm. this is like an expensive hobby for me where it's now funding itself mm-hmm. but to be completely transparent with you and as I try to be transparent with everyone I work mm-hmm. with I have not taken a dollar from this company yet like these labels like literally all the money I make goes back into the labels now eventually would I like to make money I'm sure because I do put in a ton of work yeah. it's almost like literally a second full time yeah. job I put that much work into it, but um, I have a five-year plan. You know, I'm getting close to that fifth year. I said maybe I, you know, after five years, I could start like giving myself a little mm-hmm. money. But literally up till now, all of it's gone back. That's in. really cool. Which is probably why I've been able to release so much yeah. is because as as I've had successful releases, it just goes right back out into more. And so when you talk about like 75 releases in like a little under five years, yeah. it's like yeah, for me it's even like hard to swallow and like. Uh, wrap my head around it it's really aggressive and I probably I don't know some other labels probably be like well you're cheating your bands because you're not giving them full man I, I bust my ass on all the promotions so whether the release does successful or not promotion wise usually is not based on my effort it's just whether you know sometimes it's things have to be aligned for those things to work yeah. out you know but uh, I put I pretty much put the same effort in you know for everything but um, yeah so <sighs> It's funny, you know, I have these visions, right when I hear a band sometimes, or like see their imagery or see their, you know, read their story or whatever, whatever they have posted on their Facebook, you know, I do some research or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, I automatically start like having these visions of like where I see it going or what I can do for yeah. them, like how I can help advance them. And that was kind of just one of those, another one of those things. So I reached out to them. They talked for a little while. Um, they kind of needed to get some stuff together. They said, they'd get back to me, whatever. And uh, I pitched them my idea. And a lot of it is that. Cause they're like, oh, well, what do you want to do? You know, like, like we're not ready to write any record. Not, and I'm like, no, man, I think we should put this out. Like, not enough people have heard what you have now. Like, this is good. So another one of those compilation things. And I know we've talked about, I think, three different ones on this interview. But I really haven't done those very often lately. And uh, it's kind of cool to go back to uh, sort of like the roots of what I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an old school thing, yeah. like to do those comps, you know, you have these bands just kind of getting by doing what they can. Cause you know, whatever, they can only afford to record yeah. two songs at a time or whatever it is, or they break up the reform, you know, whatever their story is like, you know, they get this collection of little EPs, so they never had like an official full release. And it's like, well, Hey man, like, let's get your name out yeah. there. You know, let me do my job and what I'm good at. My, my, I think the thing I've done best at is like the PR promotion side, getting it out mm-hmm. there. And so, um, and, and that's what I kind of rest my laurels on. So I'm like, I can get it out there. Whether people pay attention or not, I don't know, but I'll, I'll make sure it's mm-hmm. there. So we get it out there. And, uh, from, from that, let's see what we can build up so that when you do have 
the next release ready, the full length EP, whatever, that more, much more people are paying attention are ready and excited for that next yeah. release, you know, like let's build to something. Definitely, yeah. And so when you explain that to them, I think most of them get it and they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And it's like, man, you don't have to do anything for me. Like, I mean, everything's recorded, everything's done. Like, let's just kind of put a package together and, and see what we can do with it, you know? So, um, that's just one of those stories. That was depraver. Deathless, um, funny, you know, some of the bands I work with, give me recommendations and I think the biggest culprit of that is Jordan from Oxygen Destroyer mm. because we do talk so yeah. much uh, he, he's thrown me so many bands I think he threw me Depraver to be honest I think he is the one that showed me Depraver and I, he definitely showed me Deathrist and um, yeah it's funny I think I, and I told him once too I'm like man I should just have you be my AR. <laughs> like you send me all these amazing bands all the time you know he sent me a few that I haven't done anything with but uh, those two just like leaped off uh-huh the page so to speak for me or you know out of the computer or whatever so uh yeah i thought they were really great death Risk is one of those other ones that like i think they had just released their album like i don't know i think it was like august or something and i'm like i want to be a part of this like we can really blow this up and um and we did really well for them and i think they're they're very satisfied and uh they went on tour it was the perfect timing for everything uh and uh again they're kind of in that same family of auction destroyer where they lack in the vader yeah. part you know, Oxygen sure has a unique Vader leaning. Death Roots has more of like a repulsion, early death. Mm-hmm. Um, they share where they kind of split is like they both have this kind of demolition hammer influence, yeah. but Death Roots leaves more to this like asphyx, um, you know, early death, like uh, repulsion way, mm-hmm. whereas Oxygen Destroyer goes that more like, you know, Vader direction. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited if they do end up touring together. It would be a, a really killer tour. Yeah. Um, really, really great guys, too. I talked to, talk to those guys quite a bit, too. <laughs> Send them to Rochester. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Uh, the other is actually in Canada, so it's a little harder to get. It's harder to get bands this way than the yeah, other way, yeah. you know? So um, eventually, maybe, we'll see what I can help them with. But uh, I would, of course, like to get them there. But that's why I think we're going to hopefully help Oxygen Shore get up to, to Canada first because it'll be a little easier you know? and they're already in Seattle mm. so um, you know a little closer but um, uh, the last one you mentioned was Graveview Graveview yes. yeah um, yeah I stumbled on that one too of course you know looking stuff up I, I, I sent that to Ray uh, from Rothskull because I, I know what he's going to be into you know mm. there's sometimes I don't want to bombard him because my um as you've seen, I've done 75 releases over five years. Like he, he doesn't put out that yeah, many. So that's, it's that's like a lot of releases, you know, you gotta get you state. Yeah. You gotta save your money and, 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 you know, follow through with what you're kind of already have a uh, plan or whatever. So I never want to overwhelm him, but I probably would have thrown even more at him if I could have, but you know, there's a couple that I'm just like, man, you have to hear this. You, we got to do this, mm-hmm. you know? And when you heard him, he's like, yeah, it's funny. Cause he's like, yeah, talk to him. Like he, he'll just go, They'll just give me like a real short answer if he's into it, like with Cleric and Gravy. He's like, Yep, let's do it. We're doing it. Like, make it happen, kind of thing. And I'm like, All right. And when he says that, I just go for it. So, yeah, Florida band. Um, yeah, pretty young guys, but the, uh, I know the singer for sure had been in the industry uh, more of like the core stuff because he was like a lot younger. But I want to say he was like 16 or 17 in like a, a signed band, you know. Exciting band in that they're doing it their own way. You know, they're taking kind of this formula that has become popular that we kind of talked about. It's kind of like, uh, kind of what Gate Creeper and Entrails did yeah. with like this entomb type yeah. sound, where 
it's almost kind of like stale at this point. Yeah. Um, they took it in a different way, you know. They're they're it's a little darker in, in some ways. Uh, it's a little heavier. I don't know, man. They just have like a unique approach at it, and it's weird because it's not like they're doing anything technical or anything. It's almost like groovier. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their favorite bands is Gutted, which is funny because Gutted is from Toledo, Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, not a lot of people know that record. If they do know it, they just think it's kind of like you know an old mediocre '90s death metal band or yeah. whatever. I happen to like that Gutted record, but because uh, they just had that like one really, but. Yeah, they really love that band, and um, I think they did a cover of it. I don't know if we'll be releasing it or whatever, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, really unique. Uh, the one guy makes pickups, yeah. like guitar pickups, oh, yeah. he's doing his company or oh. whatever, um, and so they have a re- really unique guitar sound because his pickups sound so mm-hmm. unique, and they're packed. I don't know if you're a guitar player or whatever, but they're not active. So a lot of metal guitar players play active yeah. pickups. They're a little hotter. Yeah. Um, EMGs are active do those black boxes and the guitars you know everyone's using EMGs yeah. or some kind of derivative right. of um, these are these are actually passive pickups so you, you hear more of the guitar in it mm. it doesn't sound so um, a lot of times what the active pickups do is keep everything kind of sounding like it wouldn't matter what guitar you have it in essentially I'm not I'm not saying that's completely true but you you can take a shitty guitar and put EMGs in and probably sound pretty right, good. Right. Whereas like a past pickup is going to be more in tune with the actual guitar and the wood yeah, and everything. Right. Yeah, I got you. So, uh, they have a really unique sound in that way because those pickups are, are so unique. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man, there's something about that band and uh, people are really digging it and picking up on it. And I can't wait for them to release the full length. You know, they have those two EPs released again, more like a compilation. So I've done a few lately, but, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what they do next because it's, uh, it's definitely like a little, little different than what else is going on. Oh! 
have a career and you have a family. Yeah. And you have two record labels. And if Metal Archives is a little bit right, you have some active bands? Or no? Yeah. Kinda? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. So like how do you yeah, how do you balance of. all this? How do you I don't like, know. We I don't know if I do a good job at it. <laughs> it seems like you do and you're you know, putting out I get putting it. out all those releases, um, kinda says otherwise. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. I think you know, you have your moments. Like I try to keep it all like on a teeter totter, right? But I'm only kind of balancing all three. So instead of a two seat teeter totter, it's some weird like triangle version of that mm-hmm. where you gotta keep it all balanced so nothing really hits the ground ever kind of thing. Um and it's difficult because either like the family suffers sometimes when I'm really busy with maybe the label or maybe I'm busy with work or more busy with work and then the family suffers and the label suffers or you know maybe I'm really doing a bunch of stuff with the family and then I'm like oh shit now I gotta catch up with all this label <laughs> shit and oh man you know work's piling up so so it's always just trying to maintain that yeah. balance and my wife would probably be like man I wish she didn't do any of that <laughs> shit but um well, you know, I think she's proud that I've taken it as far as I did because I think when she first heard me talking, like, I, you know, I told her about it. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And she's like, oh, it's like a terrible <laughs> idea, you know. Um, well, because, like, yeah. you know, your, your wife should ground you, you know, and bring you to reality. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of an idea guy. I'm always like, blah, blah, blah. And so it's almost like, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know. Um, but to see where I've taken it, I think she is like, wow, like, actually doing something with it but at the same time she would like that that time back i'm sure um so yeah it's just trying to make everyone happy man that's a really really difficult thing to do so sometimes it can get pretty stressful but at the same time if i wasn't doing Mm. this i'm the kind of guy who's always needs to keep busy like always need to keep my mind busy like i could never just sit there like i can't it's like hard for me to like relax you know i get some moments or hours you know on the weekends yeah. or whatever you know whatever it is that i can completely maybe unwind uh-huh. here and there but most of the time i'm active man i'm always doing yeah something. it's like my nature i think our both of our minds work that way too and uh like when yeah. you do get some downtime like i don't know about you but you feel like something's wrong like a what yeah like what am i yeah. doing what am i doing <laughs> right. or what aren't yeah. i doing that i'm supposed to be doing yeah <laughs> well it's funny when i was going to music school even like you know we just want to chill and watch a movie we'd go to school all day or you know you know i was working too at the time whatever and it's like you just want to relax you know you want to unwind you want to rest your brain but i would play on my practice pad or you know like i never want to waste yeah. time i guess so I was like, what else can I be doing at the same time I'm doing this? So, um, you know, I might put on a movie at night, but uh, I maybe half pay attention and then I'm doing label stuff all night, you know, or um, if I am relaxing and I don't have label stuff to do, I'll pick up guitar and just like do technique stuff and, and run either scales or just like, again, like exercises yeah. just to keep, like, cause I'm getting better and improving at something while I'm relaxing yeah. so it's not really relaxing but you know yeah. what i mean like it's uh i want to make best use of my time yeah you know? that makes sense so i never want to waste time yeah so what are your thoughts on uh the different like media types for releases like digital oh i got i, I hope i don't talk too long about this uh, i do want to okay. go back and talk about the project that about the oh yes yeah. and i kind of went over that yeah. quickly so those have suffered so I will say I've, I've not been good at balancing that um, because with the labels getting busier and busier which is a great thing 
I've been spending all my time on everyone else's releases and not been able to write or record any of my mm. own. So uh, it's funny, that's partially how the label started too, is not only was I releasing Friends and you know, that kind of thing at the beginning, but my first release on Redefining Darkness was my own. Because I go, well, if I'm going to fuck someone's release up, I might as well fuck my own up. <laughs> and that way, no one's mad at me. I could kind of learn a little bit, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. So while it seemed cheesy, I never wanted to be the guy to release my own music because it kind of seemed cheesy to me. I, I almost used that as more of like a learning yeah. experience. So whether I coaxed myself into thinking that that was the right thing or uh, if it truly was, uh, I don't know. But it did work out, actually. And, uh, and people liked it, which was cool. So... Um, I, I knew nothing, I, you know, I, I barely knew anything at the time, but I had done enough research that I knew, like, what all the journalists were using, um, and what all the PR companies were using, so I got, like, a Holic subscription right away, and um, started figuring that out and using that, and that was kind of industry standard, especially at the time, yeah. now there's a lot of things that people use, but um, this was 2015, so that was kind of the one, and... Uh, so I think with that, that immediately got me some attention because there was a lot less PR companies then and a lot, you know, it was only five years yeah. ago, but it's like, it was like so much has so, changed. So what was that release? It got so much more crowded. So the first, my first Redefining Darkness Records release uh, was Vintage Warlord, okay. The Invisible Foe. And, and a lot of this stuff was older stuff. It wasn't like it was super relevant. It was like... Um, it was funny that was a project where i had done a grind project i had done a um i was doing a, like a, a death thing and obviously i'd been in black metal band i'd been you know touring in these other bands or playing in these other bands i'd never really written any like doom stuff yeah. it's more along the death of doom stuff than like any stoner doom yeah. stuff but um i had a friend who actually was at melt with me he was a chef and he was like super into metal and so we kind of hit it off and he was singing in a band they broke up and you could tell it really ate him up and I'm like well if you were to do your ideal thing what would it be he's like man I would love to do something like uh, November's Doom or Evoking mm-hmm. or you know we both have a, a, a real love for Paradise yeah. Lost and stuff like that so I was like man I've never done anything like that let me let me try and this was before the labels and everything and this was kind of this is kind of how I got back into music this was around that mm-hmm. time and uh so I started writing, man, and um, it was real crude. I didn't really have a good setup here, but, uh, you know, we did three tracks. And, it, you know, listening back, it to me, it's very, um, uh, I don't know if amateur is the right word, but I don't feel like, that's probably not the best representation. But, you know, at the same time, that's what it was at mm-hmm. the time. So, you know. You know, albums and recorded material is a reflection of the time, yeah. right? So, and I'd never done anything like that. So, I think it's for what it is, it's pretty cool. And uh, you know, definitely check it out yeah. and see see what you think. Yeah, but definitely. Uh, again, it's a little cr- little crude. Well, you said, but his voice is really. You said good. you did it as a learning you know, like experience, right? Yeah, and in many yeah. ways, I did it. You know, as one of the first things I was recording myself. Mm-hmm. You know, tracking at my own house. I did all the instruments on that and any programming that needed to be done. And my friend JB, who actually did a lot of my mixing and mastering, um, and I actually connect him with a ton of the bands I work with because he's so good. He's in the Netherlands. He was in Aborted after I had been like, you know, I was never in Aborted, by the way. I don't want to confuse anyone. I just have like a writing credit. I was just involved Mm. with those guys at a point in time. But, um, yeah, I was never a member or anything. If anything, I would have... I was kind of being pushed into being a live guy, but that, that didn't yeah. happen. So, uh, 
JB was the, their bass player, and he had been in Lee's eyes before mm-hmm. that. And uh, he's now in a great band called Duel, which if you've never heard Duel, check them out. It's D O O L, and it's pretty much uh, if you remember the band Devil's Blood, they broke mm-hmm. up, and essentially the, those members formed Duel. Okay. It's really cool. It's really dark. It's more rock than anything metal, but it's really atmospheric. It really it's got a cool dark vibe. That's cool. Yeah, check it out. But but he's integral in that band now, which is really cool, and I'm really glad to see it because they're getting pretty popular in Europe. But uh, yeah, really cool, really different, and I think that's what I really like about him. It's so different. But JB's amazing. He's got his own studio in the Netherlands. It's uh, got a really good ear. He helped me with a lot of cool like sound effects and stuff. He did like the. Uh, I guess what you would call the, um, uh, what's it called? Sound design, uh-huh. I guess would be the yeah. right word, yeah. you know? So any cool effect or piano or stuff, like you included that stuff in, uh, to kind of like transpose my guitar, like stuff I was doing, like put it to MIDI and put it to piano, oh, cool. you know, whatever. Yeah, so he did like cool, like ambient stuff to like help that material, like, uh, get some more character and find mm-hmm. a voice so I think he was like an integral part in making it cooler mm-hmm. but um, yeah check out Vintage yeah. Warlord that was the first one so not only was it a test it was a test all the way it was a test for me um, for writing for recording for releasing like the whole the whole thing it's kind of interesting well I'm intrigued now I'm going to go uh, listen to you know, it I, yeah, yeah yeah check it out do what you think it's, it's, yeah. again it, it's not the most cohesive thing but uh, I would like to do another one, and I know uh, the vocalist, his name's mm-hmm. Connor. I've, I've, seen, I've seen him recently, and he's down to do another one. His voice is really cool. It's almost like uh, Michael from Opeth, kind of, his kind of lows, mm-hmm. you know, kind of cool. unique. And um, yeah, yeah, it stands out, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I also had a band called Two Dust, which is the, it's just like T-O, Dust, Two okay. Dust, like Into Dust without mm-hmm. the in. And um, that was a grind thing. I want to say, I may be, I wrote that before I wrote Vintage, so that was probably my first foray into recording my own stuff. Um, and I really didn't write a lot, because when I was in Abigail, again, that wasn't really my band, but uh, but I wrote a couple riffs that got on the record, uh-huh. you know? Um, and I was I was there to help arrange and stuff here and there. Like, you know, it was, again, it was mostly Ken's thing. Uh, but, you know, we hung out so much, and, you know, I'd write a riff or something, he'd be like, oh, that's great, like, you know, let's use this or let's fit that there. But I never like wrote a song that got on a record. Or yeah, whatever. Okay. So I did this two dust thing because I had a couple friends. That, you know, this this one buddy that I'd known for a long time. He, he just kept bothering me about doing something. I'm like, fine, like we'll do something. And, uh, and when I was doing it, you know, I I saw this is going to trail off in another weird story. But one a good friend of mine's Dirk Verbeeren, and I don't know if you know Dirk by name, but uh, He's now the drummer of Megadeth. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, he was the drummer of Soilwork. Yeah. yeah. I was like a huge Soilwork fan. And, he has a show on Gimme Radio, uh, right? I would say when they released... He has what a show that? on Gimme Radio, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I actually have a show on Gimme Radio you do? as well. Um, That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I've been on hiatus for a little while, but uh, but it was funny because I wanted to get him a show on Gimme Radio at the time because Dave had his show, obviously... Uh, I don't know this whole making that thing yeah. or whatever. Uh, they were hesitant to give Dirk a show right away, but uh, I'm glad that worked out because he's. I don't think a lot of people realize how much he is into some really extreme yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah. he's got a he's got a really cool yeah. show. Yeah, I'm always checking that stuff out. 
But uh, he, he lived in Cleveland at, at one point because he knew a girl from Cleveland, and uh, and she was she was active in the industry. She's a photographer now and does a lot of what you see, like she, that covers the Dust Bowl and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But she was a tour manager before that, and she had toured with like big bands, like like she toured with Pink. And oh, stuff. Wow. I think she was like Pink's tour manager at one point. But she also did like Demi Moore gear, you know. Like I think she tour managed them when Demi was on. Well, that's quite a contrast. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind yeah. of crazy, but. Uh, but I was a big fan of story work when I was young, like when I was like uh, 1920, like when they released Chain Heart Machine. Yep. And Predator's Portrait, I was like super into them. And then when Dirk joined, I was just like, oh my goodness, like this guy's, you know, I was a fan of Dirk. Obviously, being a drummer, I was a fan of a lot of drummers, yeah. specific drummers. Uh, Gene Holland was probably the number one for me forever, but Dirk was like the modern Gene yeah. Holland to me. That's so why I've been a huge fan of his. And he was, he, I think single-handedly made aborted relevant with Gormageddon because I remember aborted really like getting notoriety around uh-huh. that time. That record was a really great record, and Dirk played on that, and he just like crushed it. And so from then on, I'm like, who was that criminal? You know, and just kind of followed his career. But um, so I befriended him at a show. I saw him at a like, show here, and I was like, what are you doing here? You know, no, I don't think anyone else recognized him but me. Uh-huh. You know, and. Uh, I was such a fanboy. <laughs> uh, we just we shit it off, man. He's like, I live here. And I'm like, oh, shit. you That's know. Cool. So, found out I taught drums, and so it was funny. Like, I started getting him students. You know, students of mine that were into metal. Like, I'd be like, Hey, you want a lesson from Derek from Soil Work? You know, or whatever. They're like, Oh wow. So, uh, so that happened, and then he started getting his own students. And then when he would go on tour, I would like sub for him. So like, I would teach his students, and then like uh, he, he like again he would teach some of mine and. Uh, it's funny because I'd be touring with Abigail at the time and like we sort of kind of be out around the same time or kind of like overlapping so when we get home they're like hey you home yeah I'm home go get coffee or whatever and we catch up talk about how the tour went and catch up on life and so he became a, he became a friend and um, when I did this grind band to dust I immediately thought of him because if anyone knows Dirk they know no matter what you've heard Dirk mm-hmm. play on Dirk's favorite band of all time is Napalm <laughs> Death and he loves grindcore like more than friggin' anything. I think I heard him mention that on one of his shows. Dude, <laughs> he's like the biggest grindhead. So, and I like a lot of grind, but not as extreme as he's, and I'm talking old school grind. He doesn't like, he like despises porno grind and all that stuff. I'm talking like what, the essence of grind, yeah. you know, more of the political sides and stuff uh-huh. and whatever. So, um, he loves it, man. He loves it. The, the raw, the better. If you could just play in a grind band, it's a life you, you would die <laughs> happy, but you know, gotta be yeah, right. too. <laughs> And again, he's a very diverse mm-hmm. musician. So, uh, yeah, I think he likes the challenge of doing a lot of different things. But, uh, but Napalm Death's favorite band. Um, I mean, he loves stuff like Godflesh and stuff like that too, like weird shit. Like, and mm-hmm. I do too. So we, we vibe on that, like Swans yeah. and, and all that. So, uh, I was like, hey, dude, like, you got any material? Like, I want to, I'm going to, got this grind thing. I played it for him. He liked it. And, um, I was like, well, hey, if I can find someone to put it out, like, you want to do a split? And he's like, yeah. So with his name attached, I was a little, there's a little more leverage to like get a label yeah, interested, you know? Sure. And so he has a grind band called uh, Bent C. Uh-huh. And he had put out something on, ugh, I'm going to fuck this up, Tank Crimes or, I don't one of those labels, mm-hmm. you know? Um, man, I know he had something on t- Tank Crimes. I think he had something on, a, what's the Polish one? Um, there's a Polish label too that kind of does a lot of grind and death metal. 
it'll, it'll come to me. But uh, he had like two releases, maybe. And his first release, he had, he had like Shane Emberry from Napalm uh-huh. Death on it. He had uh, Devin Townsend play on it too, I think. Something like that. It was really crazy. And then, yeah, Devin Townsend was playing the grind band with Derek on Derek's first Ben C record. And it's called like Noise Nostalgia. So, like Nostalgia, uh-huh. but okay. Noise Nostalgia. Uh-huh. And then he did a split with Usur- Usurpress. I think that was on Tank uh-huh. Crimes. Um, fuck, what's that Polish I can see like the logo and I just, the name's escaping me. But anyway, oh, Self Made God? That's the one okay. I don't. I don't know if it came out on Self Made God, but for some reason that's mm. ringing a bell. Um, anyway, so this EP that he, we did the split, Ben C, his uh, EP's name was Ascend. Mm. So I was like, oh, we'll just do kind of like AB thing. Like, I'll just do Descent. That'll be the name. So I literally based the name of our split off of his um, to kind of do like a light side, dark side kind of yeah. thing, you know, even though it's all yeah. right. And uh, <clears throat> he had uh, Shane from Napalm Death played bass. Dirk did all the guitar and drums. And uh, Sven from Aborted did vocals. Mm-hmm. And with mine, I did everything. And then... Uh, we're getting Zach Gibson to play drums on it. Uh, who played with me and Abigail, and he had played with Black Dolly Murder. He played in Phobia, uh, and now he just did that um, Shock Narcotic. Mm. Uh, he's awesome, man. He, he, he does a band called Shit Life. Uh-huh. Awesome grind band from Detroit. <laughs> Check out Shit Life. Um, they just did an album called Rain and Bud. It's amazing. That's cool. Um, and Zach was my ideal, but I ended up programming the drums for that just because, like, logistics and couldn't get done in time. But I, I credit Zach because he was intended, mm-hmm. and everything that I programmed mm-hmm. on there, like, drum wise, was literally like me trying to emulate what Zach would do. That's you cool. know, because I wanted Zach to yeah. play on it. Yeah, and we just couldn't link up, and I needed to get it out. So, you know, we do what we have to do. And when you listen to it, maybe if you listen hard, you can tell, but no one's ever picked it out, you know, and it doesn't really matter. But, um, it's just what we had to do in the studio, you know. But uh, but but Zach's a member, in, you know, in spirit. That's cool. So we released that. I found a label called Give Praise in Boston, or just outside of Boston. Released it. They're they're kind of a old school death or um, grind core label. Been around mm. for a while. Great great guy runs it. Super super respectable, honest guy. Love him. Uh, his name's Paul. And he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And I was like, "Sweet." So. He released it a split 12 inch and uh, still got copies, man. So they're still available. If you go on Hell's Headbangers, you can order it. Um, I'm, I'll probably post it on the Seeing Red site here eventually, too, because uh, I'll probably release the next stuff. Whether we collaborate with, with Give Praise mm-hmm. or not, it remains to be seen. We'll see. Uh, I would like to. We just got to you know work it out. But uh, I'll probably put it up because it never really got as much uh, attention. And I think with what I've been able to do recently, I think I can kind of get it more out there. I just want to do uh, like a special. Yeah. It never got released on CD or anything, so uh, only on vinyl. So I might do something yeah, else there. Cool. And then the other side project was uh, Grave Plague, and uh, Grave Plague was another one of those moments where uh, I didn't want to release it myself. I really didn't. I, I mean, I was never intending to do this. Like I didn't do to dust, right? I'd give praise, do that. Vintage Warlords was a justified as a test, so I didn't fuck up anyone else's release. And then, uh, and no one else wanted to release it because I did shop it. And then. Um, uh, Grey Flag, I did, I did send to a lot of labels, man, and some were interested, and, um, and some weren't, and the timing was off, and uh, you know whatever. And again, I, I reached out to Paul at Give Praise. I'm like, hey, man, do you want to like 
maybe do this together. And he's like, yeah, this is great. So I'm like, cool. I've been talking to Pulverize and stuff and like, you know, a couple of those yeah. labels, but nothing ever, ever came through. Even Hell's Ass, you know, it really wasn't their vibe. But uh, anyway, so we co-released it with Give Praise and uh, it did amazing, man. It, it was like one of my best sellers, like at the time. We just did a split seven inch. I mean, not a split. I'm sorry. We just did a seven inch, like two songs or whatever, and uh, did awesome. Like I was still sitting on some copies, but we did like 500 copies, and I only have like a couple oh. left. So um, that's cool. Yeah, I was really taken back and surprised. But uh, that was another situation. Uh, my friend from Two Dust does the vocals. So he does vocals for Two Dust, and he does vocals for Grave Plague. But our mutual friend. Anthony, so the singer's Joe, but uh, our mutual friend Anthony. But I've known these kids since they were like 15. I was older than them, and you know, they, I kind of mentored their old band. They had a band on Comatose. They got signed when they were like 16. It's great. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, I was like in their studio when they first recorded their first record and stuff. It's kind of cool. So I got to watch them grow. But uh, Anthony's been out of it for a long time, and he had some, some things he went through in his life, and. Uh, he had been bothering me. He was like, we got to do a band because he heard Two Dust. And he was like, yeah, we got to do something. We got to do something. He's like, dude, I want to do something like autopsy, like our shit, like blah, blah, blah. And he'd go on and on and on and on. I'm like, fine, dude, fine. <laughs> I'm like, we'll do it. I'll do it. And so I started writing and, you know, one song came out right away and then another one. And I was like, I like, dude, this is perfect. I'm like, sweet. And so um, that's how it came to be. But it was from those guys pestering me to do it kind of thing. So, uh, again, I played everything on there. You'll see people credited for things. Um, and people did help. Uh, so Caleb Bingham's credited as the guitar player on it. He actually didn't play any guitar on it, but he, um, if we were going to do anything live, he would definitely be involved. He actually did the mixing uh-huh. of the rest. Uh, he's an engineer in L.A. He, he actually played in Five Finger Death Punch, ironically uh-huh. enough. But he had gotten the gig when he was, like, 17. Uh-huh. And those guys were all, like, in their 30s. And so when they got their big deal, like, they got him out of there because... He looked way younger than them. He probably looked better. <laughs> or whatever, you know. um, he was too good to play with those guys, but you know it would have been a nice payday. Yeah. But uh, then he moved to Sweden and he played with a band called Denaria, which is on Century Media, I think, for a minute, and some other smaller labels in Europe. But uh, it's on kind of like hypocrisy type, like alien era oh, hypocrisy. That's cool. And um, yeah, Zanaria's cool. If you look him up, you could find it Z O N A R I A. I think it may still be active, but he lived in Sweden for like four years. And, uh, and it's funny, he's from Ohio, but he moved to L.A., kind of just did the whole Sunset Strip thing, found Five Fingered guys, played with them, you know, got kicked out, went to Sweden, played with this band in Sweden for like four years, lived in Sweden, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, really good guy. He's, he's in a band called Athanasia that I helped release on Seeing Red Records, actually. Really good band. That's cool. So he's involved. He was kind of involved as our, our mixing guy, and, uh, you know, he helped me out with a few things. And then... Um, JB did the mastering so the same guy I was telling you about in the Netherlands my friend JB he mastered it he's fantastic and uh, my best friend that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview Mike Wilson who was uh, in Abigail with me who got, kind of got me in that whole scenario he uh, did the leads uh, there's only one lead on Great Play I think but he did that but uh, when it came to bass tracks and guitar tracks and stuff I did all that and uh, you know and our friend Anthony is the, drum, the drummer and so yeah, it worked out really good. But those are the only projects right now. Um, we need to do this great plate full length because there's such a demand for it uh, from that EP. But uh, yeah, it's just hard to find the time. I think we have six or seven songs like written. That's but cool. uh, I just don't have time. You know. Yeah. Can you tell us about Hellebores and Wretched Fate? 
Yeah, Hell of Worth. They, uh, I've been talking to those guys for a long time, actually. Um, this record was supposed to be done a long time ago. Um, the main songwriter, the, the singer and the, the guitar player, the main songwriter, are brothers. Oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah, they work together. Hausman's the last name. Um, I hope I'm saying that right, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they do another band. It's like this Egyptian death metal band that I won't try to pronounce. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it's really cool, too. It's, like, super, like, Nile-based. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in their own way, you know, in their mm-hmm. own unique way. It's really cool. Uh, but he, like, broke his... He broke his hip. Now, something really crazy, like, really bad, uh-huh. you know? And, uh, yeah, it really, like, took him off uh, their path for a while. I'm just shooting a gun out here. Um, but, you know, I was always kind of waiting in the wings. I always wanted to work with them. I thought they were a really unique uh, black metal band for what... You know, black metal's a weird thing, you know? It's going through these, like, ebbs and flows, I guess, just like death metal, but uh, this kind of depressive, uh, atmospheric black metal has been the popular thing in the last couple yeah. of years. And uh, now I think it's a little more wide open, but, uh, you know, the black metal that I think about, you know, uh, I mean, all the early Norwegian stuff for sure, that whole second wave uh, is the stuff that sticks with me, but, you know, I even liked a lot of the symphonic stuff, and if you listen to that Abigail Lewis or doing that I know people call this like a core band but there was no core whatsoever no. We were, none of us were like that right. or into that um, we even had Trim from Emperor playing drums on it so I don't, I don't know but uh, we were fanboys for sure <laughs> but it's what it's what we did you know and again it was Ken's Ken's writing the majority of it so we're we're kind of riding with yeah. him you know but uh, but we had to say you know it was a democracy but he just had, you know wrote most of it. Uh, anyway so I've been a fan of a lot of symphonic stuff, you know, whether it was Dumu or Old Man's Child or, uh, you know, early Cradle. I got into Cradle uh, when they released that mm-hmm. uh, the Five Empire or Vampire, uh-huh. however you want to Arcturus. say uh, I got in. Arcturus? Uh, uh, Cradle. No, so, were, you, uh, were you an Arcturus fan? What was I into? Yeah, I love yeah. Arcturus. Yeah, probably one of my yeah. favorites. The Reconstellation is like yeah. shit. Um so yeah, I was into all that, and uh, and again, I had guys your age introducing me to a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, because I was a little younger. But uh, so yeah, I loved it all, and you know, even the Covenant, you know, uh, in Times Before Light, you know, that stuff. So you know, that got really unpopular for yeah. a while, uh, and you know, it's a couple bands kind of hidden that not a lot of people talk about but like Dark Fortress is a really cool yeah. band man and Hello Burroughs reminds me a lot of um, Dark Fortress in a way and they also take elements of a lot of the bands that I used to listen to and kind of spin it their own way too because you hear like some Satyricon you hear some I wouldn't say like direct demo influences because they're very yeah. different um, but they have their own way about it man and I don't know if it's going to be popular or not because it's definitely I think the thing that's you know the trend right now in death metal and black metal is you know the rawness people just want it raw they want it raw you know whatever and popular music is super produced and stuff well their stuff is produced Mm -hmm. really well but you know I think it adds to the experience man you crank it it sounds huge you know like uh, there's a lot of stuff I like in that vein so I think it's different from what's going on right now. I think they, um, they're they doing their own thing. They don't care, you know, 
like bands like uh, Uada or however mm-hmm. you say that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the drummer had played in that band. He was in Hellebrus before Uada, but then he left to play on a Uada record and tour with them mm-hmm. or whatever. And he left and now he's back in the band huh. or whatever. They, um, they played here a couple months ago. Yeah. Uada. Who did? Oh, okay. How that was, was good. Yeah, I heard they put on an amazing yeah, live show. I've never yeah. seen them live. But again, they're doing something different, man. And so I like the fact that, you know, they're not kind of following the, uh, I hate to call it a trend, but it is something that you see like black metal bands kind of all kind of like veering in the same direction, even if they're doing yeah. it their own way. They all either want to be like Uada or uh, Sinmara, you know, the whole Icelandic thing yeah. or like, you know, yeah. whatever. And, uh, you know, it's cool, but there's a couple of bands that do it better yeah. than everyone else. So it's like, That's why true. just do your own mm-hmm. thing, you know? So this new Abigail Williams actually sounds really great. It's probably one of the best things I've ever heard them do. Um, they have a few singles out right now, I think, but I've heard the record. It's, it was, pretty, you know, really pretty impressive. I was pretty stoked on it. And then, uh, yeah, this Hello, Hello Burris, uh is really fantastic, man. The way they approach things, it's more of this kind of cradle feels like romantic, gothic uh-huh. way, you know, but not so cheesy. It's like this whole, like... Uh, British literature take here, this vampiric thing, you know? Yeah. They're not that way, but it's more Hellenic, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, read, you know, definitely the stuff in the bio and stuff that we put out and stuff uh, that you'll see in interviews and then Cult Nation even covered some stuff and how the band, uh, every, everything's thought out, you know, everything's well represented, like their lyrics, you know, everything's for a mm-hmm. reason. And I think that's cool when the band can tie the imagery and tie everything together. And they're one of those rare bands that can do it all. They tie it all together. So it's experiential, mm-hmm. you know. That's cool. Um, yeah, and they try to do it live, too. I think they're still working out kinks or something like that, but they have, like, stage... Uh, I hate to use the word props, but, you know, they have stuff, like, on stage that's for visual effect. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just well thought out. You know, they're really putting their their heart into it and they're all into mm-hmm. it, so... That's cool. And then Wretched Fate, uh, they're another one like Sis that just kind of like knocked me out of my <laughs> chair, you know? Um, these young dudes from Sweden, man, they're in college still, you know? This guitar player, uh, the main guy, mm-hmm. uh, he writes everything, um, does everything really. Uh, it's pretty much just him and the vocalist did the whole record. They're, they're buddies. And uh, it's incredible, man. It's like, if Bloodbath was still good, you know, <laughs> like not to, not to say that like the newer stuff isn't great, but you know, you just kind of get kind of yeah, get old, yeah. you know. Just like I love the Haunted when they came out, but uh, do I like all the Haunted records? Right, Hell no, right. you know. Um, same with Bloodbath, you know. Some of the stuff I really thought was amazing. Some of it's just it just gets to be the same old, same yeah. old, you know. Where they were like a very very refreshing take on all that, and they weren't doing it the Swedish way even though they're from Sweden like they have a big Swedish influence um, definitely leaning towards that kind of newer bloodbath yeah. way or like uh-huh. Aeon I don't know if you like yeah, Aeon yeah. they remind me of Aeon a lot um, and I love Aeon because they kind of do their own thing too so it reminds me of earlier 90s death metal as far as like you know deicide and you know, it's more in that vein, that Vader deicide type mm-hmm. vein, but in their own way, and even Cannibal Corpse mm-hmm. in a way. 
uh, but getting that powerful Swedish guitar sound, you know, and uh, and Wretched Fate's no exception, man. I think they're super exciting. I think they're the new. They're one of the strongest faces in death metal right now to me. Like I don't think many bands can compare because um, they're doing their own mm-hmm. thing. The Bloodbath comparisons are there, but they have as much in common with Aeon or Cannibal Corpse, like more uh, Cannibal Corpse, let's say, Bloodthirsty on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just unique, man. It's like the smashing of all that together. And if you listen to some guitar stuff he's doing, this weird, this weird like sounds he's getting out of his guitar that like, man, I haven't really heard that before. Like, when the songs are all super well written, and that's what I find in death metal is like you can get this really esoteric like progressive stuff like almost like a, a time ghoul or a warp yeah. chamber where even when it's raw in production like there's like some kind of journey yeah. you know these long yeah. winding you know blood incantation like shit like mm-hmm. that right I can only get into so much of that uh, warp chamber is probably my favorite but uh, Wretched Fate writes songs and I think and I'll say songs in like more of a pop culture uh, formula and while that's not always the most appealing you know what that's what sticks in your head and so when you I did an interview with Glenn Benton like a year or two ago when their last mm. album came out you can find it on YouTube it's actually super long like an hour and a half or something I don't know but uh, it's really insightful it's actually a really really cool interview talked about a lot of shit but uh, that's cool. we talked about that we talked about how bands can't write songs anymore they don't come from you know all those guys listen to like Kansas and fucking Boston yeah. shit, you know yeah. and it's like um, you know they, they got that embedded mm-hmm. in them and were able to kind of like write songs yeah. And uh, not to say that there's not anything about experimenting, and I like a lot of weird shit, but uh, but again, the stuff that sticks with you tends to be that catchy stuff, like a catchy right. book or a, a, a memorable line that repeats, you know. And Wretched Fate have that in spades. Dude, listen to that whole record straight through. You know, like, it is a brilliant freaking record. Um, Aseptic is similar in that way, obviously, again, different. They're doing it differently, completely different. But, uh, man, I can't say enough about how young wretched they are and how ahead of the game they are and I'm really excited to see what they do because sky's the limit man like I just hope I don't lose them like to be honest like that's one of those bands like we bust our ass yeah. together we hit some amazing goals together with this record I think the next one's gonna be even more insane and uh, I would like to continue to work with them because I just am such a fan you know uh, so yeah yeah, I can't I can't say enough about the guy and they're fantastic. I talked to them quite a bit too. They're they're one of the bands I'm I'm close with. So, um, yeah, definitely. If you guys haven't heard them or if your listeners haven't heard them, you know, maybe this vinyl's still available. They're one of the few bands that were com- completely brand new and more of a project. Mm. Although they promised me they were going to be a live band, which they are. They they've been playing shows. So. Um, I invested vinyl immediately, and I never do that. And um, I took the risk because I believe in it that much where even if it died I go you know what I believe in it wholeheartedly cool. so I, I like knew it wouldn't die you know what I mean like that that's how confident it was like a religion yeah. you know like you couldn't shake my faith <laughs> on it yeah, you know what I mean cool. like I just knew like I'm like just I don't care if it fails like then I did yeah. something wrong because it's it's <laughs> there um, well, so cool. I love all the bands I work with for different reasons but uh, Wretched Faith definitely stand out and uh, everyone that loves death metal should own that record that's cool sure. that's very cool and um it really shows that you're very passionate about all the bands you work with and your labels for sure and um I don't know I I always look forward to 
when you have new releases coming out, I know it's going to be really good stuff. I I don't I can't think of anything I've heard on your label that it, I thought is like, oh, this isn't very good. It's always like, it's always quality <laughs> yeah. stuff. Well, I yeah. appreciate that. I'm sure the band appreciate yeah. that. And um, we uh we definitely appreciate you wasting all your time with us tonight. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. You know, I don't I don't get asked to do no. this very often, well, so it's flattering. Well, we appreciate for sure. it. Um, it's, it's weird to talk about yourself, but to be honest, I, I try to project, and I yeah. you know I want it again. The goal is to get the band's names out there and, and get more people aware of, of you know some more good underground decimals. So the mission is to you know keep spreading the the, the good word. Thank you, know? you very much. All right, pleasure, pleasure. See, thank you. Ben. Have a great night. See you. Bye. All right, you too. Bye bye.